0: the quarantined lawyer coming to you from an undisclosed location on a cul-de-sac in Cannon County. So what I want to talk to you about tonight is something that if you know me, you've heard me probably tell this story before. You may have even seen me give a presentation on this, but it's, uh, it's about the representation of a man that started for me in December of 2016. A man's name was Danny Holmes. And uh, it is a story that I will tell as long as I can, as far and wide as I can to anybody that will allow me to tell it, because it is a story of transformation, it's a story of redemption. It's a story that um, at a minimum it changed two lives it changed uh, Danny's life and it changed mine and it's one of those cases that um, I probably will never have another one like it uh, in my life it's a once it's a literal once- in-a lifetime case and I'm very blessed that I was able to be part of it. So if you're not familiar with the story, just I'll give you a little bit of background. Uh, December 2016, I'm at home, get a phone call from another attorney in town. That's a friend of mine that says, hey, there's a guy, his name is Danny Holmes. He's uh, down at the local jail. He's been charged with first degree murder. Um, I was contacted by some uh, friends of his, but I, I can't represent him. I've got a conflict um, but he's going to need somebody that's good and that has worked on these kind of cases before. And I thought about you; thought you might want to go down and talk to him. And I did. I uh, went that same day. I met Danny, and I've said this multiple times. Danny is one of those people that has a big personality, and um, he's also a person. It's it's hard not to like him. At least in the context that I met Danny and I grew to know Danny. Now I'm sure just given Danny's background that there's a lot of people that didn't like him. (laughs) Okay. Um, but Danny, Danny was just a very unique individual. Our lives started off on very different paths, but in December, 2016, those paths crossed. And I ended up representing Danny for almost three years, though he never hired me. (laughs) He was able to get me court-appointed to represent him, uh, which that's that's fine. And um, I represented him for nearly three years on a first-degree murder charge, uh, kidnapping, robbery, um, very serious charges. Danny was uh, facing the rest of his life in prison. And We finally got to trial August of 2019, and it was going to be a five-day trial, and on day one of the trial, Danny just ended up confessing, and he did that knowing that he was going to take a life sentence. Now, that's kind of the snapshot, right? And there is so much more to the story than that, but what I want to do is I want to kind of focus and allow you to hear some of kind of the background behind this as we were working that case it became clear that there was a change taking place in Danny and I don't know when the change first started but I know that there was a change taking place and at the end of the day it was a change that God was affecting And I know you know maybe that sounds cliche to some of you, but God was changing Danny's life. And one of the things I remember that Danny always told me, he said, "Josh, you're my chosen vessel. You know, you're you're the chosen vessel, Josh. You're the mouthpiece. But God is going to be the one that does something great with this case." And there's actually a letter that I, I put in the presentation that I deliver where Danny wrote me, and it was it was almost prophetic where. Way before we ever even got to trial, Danny says, Josh, I know God is going to do something big with this case. Well, after the case was concluded, after Danny was sentenced and he was sentenced to a life, uh, life sentence in prison, I was able to go and interview Danny some more um, at the Bledsoe County Correctional Complex where he had been transferred. And he still had that same enthusiasm.
1: I know that God going to do something with me going to send me I'm going to do this and do that but like watch this he literally sending me everywhere from right here like like because cause the story of how Jesus came and touched my heart in different areas and then like I told like I told my own um, lawyers my two federal lawyers that came last week two weeks ago I said listen I want y'all to know like dude I ain't done nothing worth no value my entire life I mean I'm just being honest y'all I just haven't you know what I mean I see it and like This was not on my list of plans of (laughs) confessing to get a life sentence, you know, but I wouldn't take it back, Josh.
0: It wasn't in his plan (laughs) to confess to a murder. Um, You know, it wasn't anybody's plan. Uh, I mean, certainly Danny is the one now that um, has to do that life sentence, but. It was it was such a roller coaster ride the day that that happened in the courthouse. Uh, it was totally unexpected. But in order to really understand how we got to that point, um, you really have to understand something about Danny and I. And I've had other people say this, and and I believe this is true. Um, not that I'm special. Okay. Uh, but I don't believe that this story would have been able to be told the same way. I don't think it would have gone the same way with somebody else. I, I think in order for this to happen the way it did, it had to be me and it had to be Danny. And so again, to kind of understand how we get to where we were in August of 2019, you can't actually start in December of 2016, right? You actually have to start, believe it or not, October 19th, 1976. Now, why? Because that's the day I was born in Alexandria, Louisiana, uh, to my mom and dad, born at St. Francis Cabrini Hospital. And... Um, you know you i was born to a family obviously young parents um but my mom came from a you know a well to do family um my my papa was an insurance salesman a very proper man a very uh, faithful catholic man um my dad was kind of that guy from the other side of the tracks though he was he was kind of the the hellraiser so to speak. But if you follow if you follow that life forward, by the time I'm I guess like two years old, maybe maybe a little younger than that, I'm living in Memphis, Tennessee, because my dad is going to the Memphis School of Preaching. And when he graduates from the Memphis School of Preaching, we move up to Monteagle, Tennessee. And my dad preaches at the Monegal Church of Christ, and so the earliest memories that I have are of my dad preaching, of of me running around in the woods across the street from our house with a little recurve bow and arrow, trying to shoot squirrels. Um, it's playing with my He-Man action figures. It's going to school at the Monegal Elementary School. Um, you know, I have, I have good memories of my childhood. I have positive memories of, of how I was growing up, uh, of the things that I did with my dad. I mean, going fishing, going hunting, camping. I mean, all those things were really important to, to me. And, you know, I would learn much later in my life You know, more about my dad's background and my dad's upbringing and how vastly different uh, his upbringing was than what he provided for his children. But, you know, when I looked at my background, you know, as a child, I'm like, man, I, I had a lot of fond memories. That wasn't the same, though, for Danny.
1: One of the earliest things I remember is going to foster care. I remember the night they came and got me and all my brothers. Um, I got nine siblings. At the time, when only had six. I was the third oldest. Um, I was seven years old. Um, the reason why I remember that because from that point, I want to say about a whole solid year, I cried, Josh. I'm talking about I cried because my mom was going to crack cocaine. And she said she's going to come back and get us all. So while I was in the foster care, it was just me and Joshua, and my other brothers got split up. And I really wanted to go with my big brothers. I didn't want to go with my little brother, Joshua. But so was in a foster care, um, a woman named Miss Davis, which was an RA woman, whatever, says older or whatever. But um, my mama kept saying, we're going to come back and get you. I'm going to come back and get you. So I probably cried for like the first year of her saying she's going to come back and get me. But like, like it turned out to be a big lie. You know what I mean? She never came back.
0: What a difference, right? I mean, it's you know, when you look at the the early stages of my life and Danny's life, I don't know that it's even possible that they could be more different than they were um, because yeah, we just came from different places. And then if you fast forward in each of our lives, I mean, by the time, not that my life didn't have some turbulence. I mean, w- there was some turbulence in my life that kind of changed my viewpoint on some things but you know by and large everything worked out okay right and so if you fast forward to you know my middle school years um leading into my high school years you know I mean I've I'm living in town um I'm you know I got my little skateboard I'm skating all over the place I've got a couple of good friends that I I hang out with most of the time um, you know, I'm trying to kind of figure out who I am in the world, what I want to do with my life, you know, just kind of normal stuff. And, um, you know, a story that I tell a lot to, to people when we're kind of talking about our lives is, you know, I remember the way it was for me growing up, especially I, the earliest I remember this is really middle school. Um, but, you know, in my house, especially with my dad. You know, when you brought home your report card, if you had a C, all right, don't even think about a D or an F. A D or an F, like that's that just ain't happening. Uh, but if you had a C on your report card, I, I can remember distinctly my dad would sit down and he would, you know, how at the, on the old school report cards there was like a key at the bottom, right? A was like excellent. B was above average. C was average. D was below average. F is failing. Okay. And I can remember my dad, if I had a C, would look at that report card and he would say, You see that? It says average. You're not average. I don't raise average kids. And um, you know, you have to get that up. And if you did, you know, you, you brought your report card in the next time and it was a, a B, you know, instead of a C, that's good. That's good. You pulled it up. That's above average. That's that's good. But if you can do a B, you can do an A. And that's really what you're capable of. So I was kind of in one of those households where what was what was expected? Was excellence because that's what I was taught. You should expect from yourself. But again, that's not that's not the environment that Danny was in.
1: So um, I just oh, um, I started going to juvenile. Uh, I caught my first dope charge. I think I was thirteen. I served an informant um, um, selling drugs, um, stuff like that. And then I want to say about. I did that for about three, four years because I'm in the streets now because in the system up there, you run away, you know, you hit the streets, whatever it is, is, you know. So I'm living on the streets selling drugs, whatever it is. is. And then around 14, that's when I got put down, GD. That's when I got in the gang. So, like, and by the end, that's when I was making some money, you know.
0: So 14 years old, he's now in the gangs. 14 years old, I'm riding a skateboard around town. Again, the 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 difference in – the paths that we were on could not be further apart, which, which is why again, that the story is so amazing because even though he was born in Milwaukee, I was born in Alexandria, Louisiana. I mean, we're, we're, we're literally North and South. Um, We're black and white. And, and yet years later, our paths are going to intersect in Tennessee, and it's just one person is the charged criminal, one person is the defense attorney. It's just it—you can't even make this stuff up. It is just amazing the way that God works and what He's able to do. And um, it's just—it is—it—it. It, it, there's not a single time I tell this story that I don't get emotional, that I don't just get chills because of how powerful you can see God working. Now, I remember whenever I was 15, I think I was 15. I might have been 14 and I turned 15 around that time. I I, I don't remember the details exactly, but I, I know that when I was 15 years old, my parents actually built their first house. Um, it was the first house that they actually owned and we had moved out of kind of town and we moved out more into the country. And I remember that at 15 years old, I'll never forget this. Uh, I went to the store with my mom and right across the street from our neighborhood was a large farm, um, a few hundred acres, where the man did a lot of uh, either small grain, like wheat, um, and he cut hay. And his name was James Pike. And I remember we went to the store, and when we pulled out of the neighborhood, Mr. Pike was in his field busting up square bales of hay. And at that point, I had no earthly idea about anything to do with hay or anything else. But I just kind of knew that whatever he was doing um, it didn't seem like normal, right? I mean, if you've got these perfectly square bales of hay that are baled up, you know, why would you be busting them up? But I remember he and his wife and I, gosh, at that time they, they had to be at least in their sixties. Um, they were out there by themselves doing it. And I'll never forget when I came back, um, my mom had said you know why don't you go over there and ask him if he needs some help it'd be something good for you to do so I, I got on my bike I rode um, out of the neighborhood they were still in the field I, I walked over to him and I introduced myself you know my, my name is Joshua Crane and um, I didn't know if maybe you might need some help and I'll never forget Mr. Pike sat down on a Hay, and he said where the hell have you been <laughs> and that that started a relationship that would last um all the way through law school for me um i started working for mr pike when i was 15 years old Uh, bought my first truck which was a 1973 ford pickup from a man named bob suttereth who was the circuit court clerk in rutherford county at the time uh, because mr pike bailed his hay for him and um, i was looking for a, a vehicle to buy because i knew my mom and dad would not be able to buy me one when i turned 16. And I I bought it from uh, Bob Sutter for $1,500. And um, I love that truck. And uh, Mr. Pike really became one of those very influential figures in my life. Um, He is is completely the reason that I studied agriculture in college. He is the one that really helped me develop a love of agriculture. Um, I remember how he used to tell corny jokes just all the time. Uh, And he was a hard worker and uh, just a great, great influence on me. And yet again, as we talk about the two roads that are simultaneously being traveled down that are going to intersect, Danny's influence was a lot different.
1: I never forget it because the person put me down his name, Samuel Sanders, they call him Sneak, short for Sneaky. Um, He run the whole fort. If he's still running right now, like he got a lot of money. But um, I used to be on 41st. But like, I was like a short, handsome dude. You know what I mean? Like, I always had a waves. You know, like clean cut, like Eddie Bauer shirts or Rockport shoes on. You know, I always just being dressed nice, even though I was stug-ish, But I was just clean. And I remember one day I was on 40th, and I was sitting on the block rolling the blunt up, and it was like ten of us young dudes out there. Um, at the time, maybe 13, 14. And Sam pull up, and Sam got like, personal security like Obama. You know what I mean? Like, he got three cars in front of him, two behind him. He get out an all-white, all-white hat, all-white Reeboks, white pants. You know what I mean? Like, like really, like, that dude. And everybody running up to him, getting dollars from him and everything. And I'm just sitting to the side, rolling my blood. I'm like, I don't need no dollars from nobody. You know what I mean? I'm all right over here. And I guess that must have got his attention because he looked over at me like, who was little dude right there, you know what I mean, whatever see is. And long story short, he kind of snatched me up. Like, he became like my father in a sense, you know. And, um, I'm glad you brought that out of me because I think that rose some more up in me because I used to be around him. I used to watch him beat up his girlfriend, his wife, and all that. So, like, like I was with him all the time, and then he had a lot of cars. He'd give me a car. Like, my, my nickname was Danny Boy. Boy, at that time it developed to D Boy, which ended up being D B, which ended up becoming D B the Great. But so he's giving his calls all the time. D Boy, go do this. D B, go do that. D Boy, go do this. You know, and I'm young. You know what I mean? Like, you tell me go do something. Go do it. Go shoot him. Go do it. Go rob him. Go do that. Go go pick up that secure this. You know, what I mean? that's just how I work. You know, it, it, I'm making it sound normal, but it really was normal. You no, know?
0: it really was normal, and. Just it's just fascinating listening to Danny talk about what his normal was, and again how if I mean you've got a guy here who literally is sitting on the streets in Milwaukee selling drugs, you know getting put down in the gangs um you know his his mother's not around. He's in the foster care system, and however many miles away down south, you've got a kid growing up um, with a family that's intact, with a dad that was a preacher, um, you know, uh, who's skateboarding with his friends, I mean, as dorky as that sounds now, who, uh, you know, in in high school, I'm going to work on a farm, I'm developing a love of agriculture and I would eventually study that. I mean, you can't you can't even imagine like how these two people are somehow going to come together through circumstances beyond, you know, really both of their controls and certainly end up where we are now, which is I, I sincerely consider Danny a friend of mine. I care about Danny, um, I love Danny as a brother, and there's there's not a day that goes by that I don't ask god to to keep protecting him, to keep giving him strength to keep increasing his wisdom um he is he has done horrible things in his life, no doubt about it um but he's also an individual that uh has a lot to offer and He's a person that I think more people need to know about because we, we tend to be cynical. We tend to think that um, we can easily categorize people. We can easily pigeonhole people into one category or another. And, and the story of Danny, the story of me and Danny, just completely eviscerates that idea because you've got a southern white lawyer who is now a friend to and a friend of a black convict, and I mean, how you you know, because of God's intervention. I want to tell you more about this story. Um, like I say, it is a story that that I love. It's a story that moves me every time I tell it. I hope that. Just this small introduction into this has piqued your interest and, and makes you want to know more. Um, if you want to know more, man, let me know. If, if this is beneficial for you, let me know. And I'll continue to do what I can do to tell this story. Thank you for listening. hope everybody stays safe out there. I am the Quarantined Lawyer.